Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year, almost. Uh, my name is John Hendrickson. And how many of you are somewhat ill in one form or another this morning? Sick? Okay, I'm feeling amazing today. I've got a cold, and I'm not one to make excuses, but there you have one, just in case things don't go well this morning. Uh, we are wrapping up a series today uh, called The Hole in Our Gospel. Uh, we've been talking about it for the last month or so, and it's closely related to a book, actually, by the same title. Uh, looks like this, uh, by a man named Richard Stearns, who is the uh, president of World Vision, which is an organization that does all kinds of international uh, relief and, and other forms of work all over the world. And it's a great book uh, that t- he tells a lot of personal stories of things that he's seen and experienced all over the place. Uh, there's lots of good statistics and stuff in there, a lot of things that we couldn't even scratch the surface of during this series. But what we have been doing is taking, taking some of the main themes of what uh, he talked about and, and used it to challenge us with this whole idea of the hole in our gospel. And, and essentially what, we're, what we've been talking about is the fact that a lot of times when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to who he, who he is, what he's done, a lot of times uh, we miss some key pieces of, of what, he's, what he's all about. We talk about uh, a lot about how he died on the cross for us, how he, he paid the penalty or took the punishment for our sins, which he did. And so when we ask him to lead us and forgive us, he, he, he washes us clean and gives us a, a fresh start, it allows us to be in right relationship with God. And scripture makes clear that if we want to be assured that we'll spend eternity with God, that, that, that it's because of Jesus that we'll, that we'll be able to do that. So we'll, have, we'll be restored in relationship with God now, and then when we die, we'll spend eternity with him as well. The problem is that a lot of times the gospel uh, for, for people tends to end at that point, and it, and it tends to become something that's kind of just a future thing, like it, it, it matters only because, for when I die and that kind of stuff. But the truth is that uh, God cares a lot about how we live here and now, about who we become here and now, about what it looks like to, to love him and to love uh, our neighbor. And that's why if you read through uh, the Gospels where Jesus is talking, a lot of the things, most of what he talks about is about how to live here and now, about how to be uh, his followers, about how to, to live as people that love God and love others. And if you read through uh, most of the New Testament, where a lot of them are letters that have been written to churches, most of the, the, the information, most of the stuff talked about that uh, is uh, about how to get along with each other, about how to have unity, about how to follow Jesus together, about what it looks like to uh, have the fruit of the Spirit where God's developing you and changing you, about how to use your gifts to bless other people and that kind of thing. So uh, the gospel isn't just about eternity. It's also about, about here and now. God cares a great deal about both. And that's what this series has been all about, is try to, to try to help encourage us to, to, to look at that whole picture the entire gospel. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to pull it all together, uh, wrap things up, and talk about the task at hand. Uh, And if you have your uh, outlines, uh, you should have gotten one when you came in today. Uh, It'll really help you to follow along today. We're going to read read some things that I think will help. And there will be various opportunities for audience participation this morning. And I can tell this is going to be a great crowd uh, to participate today. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at a story that Jesus told that's often referred to as the parable of the great banquet. And it's found in in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it's right there in your outline. And what I want to do is set it up before we read it. I want to set it up, kind of give you some context for what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is uh, having a meal with some Pharisees who were the the Jewish, the religious leaders of his time. Uh, And he was there in one of their homes. And it says that he noticed how... 
the other, the people who were invited, the different guests there were trying to get, uh, take seats of honor. They were trying to get uh, the seats of honor at the table, uh, which would have been the ones closest to the host. They actually, the way they would have been sitting is it would have been sort of U-shaped, where they had sort of, uh, right here, the host would be sort of the center of the U, and then it would extend out like this. Uh, however many people were there. And then the closer you got to the host, it was considered to be a greater place of honor. Uh, so they, they would have been sitting at, a, at the U-shape, and um, Jesus noticed that they were kind of jockeying with each other a little bit. Trying to, he noticed that they were all kind of pursuing those seats, trying to get closer to the host, trying to get the seat of honor uh, around the table. And so he challenges them a little bit, and he challenges them with God's heart for humility. And he starts to talk to them about how important it is to be humble people, to take the lesser seat at the table. And then he takes the idea further. Uh, he turns to the host and he says, in fact, when you throw a party, when you have a feast, don't invite your friends and family and people that can repay you back at, uh, pay you back at some point in the future. I want you to invite people that have no ability to pay you back. I want you to invite uh, the poor, the sick, uh, the lame, the blind, the outcast, those type of people. And in doing so, he was saying that God values humility. God wants you to take the humble seat at the table, that God values the type of generosity where you're giving without expectation. And, it's, and then he says that in the end, God will reward you. So this, this is what's happened. Jesus has kind of already started challenging them a little bit. And then he jumps into uh, this next part, which is, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. So this is Luke chapter 14, verse 15. You're welcome to follow along in your outline or on the screens. It says that when one of those at the table with him, with Jesus, heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, uh, and this is where he launches into a story. He did this a lot. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. Uh, for today, and as we get ready to uh, start a new year with new beginnings, um, we uh, want to start with maybe a fresh start with you. Maybe that's what we need today. Everybody uh, came here today uh, with a, a little bit of a different, from a different place. And so, God, I just pray that you would help each of us, regardless of where we are today, or regardless of how we're feeling or uh, what's weighing heavy on us. Uh, God, I pray that we would uh, turn our ears to you, that you would speak to us, and that you would challenge us, and that uh, as we leave here today, uh, we would feel encouraged and challenged to be who it is that you've called us to be. 
So we invite you to speak to us through this story uh, that your son told uh, years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at this parable and see what it teaches about this idea of the task at hand, about what God is calling us to do about this whole that's in our gospel. We accept the task at hand when we, number one, understand the beauty of God's invitation. When we understand the beauty of God's invitation. So Jesus is sitting there uh, with this group of religious leaders and he challenges them to take the lesser seat at the table. He challenges them to invite people who can't uh, pay them back. So humility, he says, is a key ingredient to, for those who want to experience the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God or in the place or the places where God's rule is, is fully in effect, humility reigns supreme and outcasts are invited to join in the feast. So after that, it's, scripture says that when one of those at the table, one of these Pharisees, these religious leaders, When one of them uh, heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So this man is piggybacking then on what Jesus was just talking about, what he was telling them about feasting. And then he relates it to something uh, that that all of the Pharisees around the table would would have understood and would have been looking forward to, which is this great future day that Scripture points to, this day when at some point in the future, God will restore and renew all of creation to the way that he originally intended it to be. So when Jesus brings up this feasting topic, the religious leader decides... Uh, to get involved and get involved, and what he does is he sort of pats himself on the back. Is <laughs> what kind of happens here. He kind of pats himself on the back. You can almost see him looking at Jesus with his with like his glass raised and saying, "Blessed are those of us who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God." Basically, he's saying, "I, you know what, Jesus, I am blessed. I am part of this religious elite group of people. I am a chosen one who who's been given God's stamp of approval." And Jesus, when he hears him say that, responds to him with the, then with this parable, which is intended to help him sort of reshape or rethink the attitude that he was having towards this future that God had promised. To reshape his attitude towards who really is welcomed at the great feast. So it says that Jesus replied with this story where he says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So the story opens with this certain man who is having a great banquet. He's invited a number of people to join him and has presumably been sort of preparing for this day for some time. So it's been in the works for quite a while. It's been something that that he's been looking forward to. It's been on everybody's calendars for an extended period of time. And now it's about time to start the feasting. And the host is excited about this. He's like, he's ready to go. He's been working hard on this thing. He's excited to start this feast. So it says that he asks his servant to tell those who had been invited that it's time to jump in. It's time to, the feast is hot, it's ready, it's time for those who have been included or invited to show up to the party. Basically, he's saying, it's party time, right? Like, he's like, this is it. The party's about to start, here we go. Now, because the the Pharisees had brought it up and because everybody around the table there knew that Jesus was using, everybody knew that Jesus was using this parable to illustrate the great feast of God, uh, which is referred to a lot of times by uh, theologians as the great eschatological feast. Does anybody know what eschatology is? Audience participation, you raise your hand. Anybody? Eschatology? 
and want to share with what it is? Okay, it's like the study of the, the, the future, the study of the end, end times, right? That's, that's what eschatology is. But, uh, you can impress somebody at lunch today if you want to do that. But scripture points to this day that will some point in the future eventually come and sometimes uh, uses this imagery of it being this great feast or this great banquet. And so everybody around the table would have known that this was kind of the direction that Jesus was talking about because that's what this Pharisee had brought up uh, to begin with. Now, one of the best passages in Scripture that illustrates this is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And this passage is right there in your outline. And I love this because he's praising God and then he's using these images of of the future. He's using uh, these images that paint a beautiful picture of what it is that God has in store for us one day. That what it is, what this banquet is that he's inviting us to be a part of. So as we read through this, I want to encourage you and invite you to underline parts of it that jump out at you. I know as I read it this week, every time I read it, there was like something different that, that I felt uh, God was just getting me excited about or renewing my hope for uh, and overwhelming me about the future that he describes. So this is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. It says this, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now this is, I think, one of the coolest passages of Scripture because it it gives us a glimpse or a taste of what it is that God has in store for us at the very end of time. And if you have any familiarity with the Bible and you've ever uh, read anything from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, a lot of times that's where we, mo- uh, where we hear a lot about heaven, or a lot of times we equate heaven with some of the things that we learn in Revelation. And what, what, what happens in Revelation is a lot of times it quotes, or in several places it quotes passages from Isaiah, including this one, uh, where it's, it's talking about this feast. And so when we look at this passage from Isaiah, it's, what will it be like in the end? When God makes things new, what is it going to be like? It says that every tear will be wiped away from every face. That our disgraces will be removed from the earth. That God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. Does anybody know what a shroud is? Anybody? The shroud was the sheet that they would use to cover a dead body in order to prepare it for burial. So a shroud is that, that sheet that they would wrap, and they'd still do this in, in a lot of the parts of the world today, that they would wrap the, the dead body in to prepare it for burial. So it says that God is going to destroy that shroud that enfolds all peoples forever and swallow up death forever. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is not in your outline, uh, you might want to just note that, 1 Corinthians 15, somewhere in your outline, But uh, the Apostle Paul references this Isaiah passage, and he says this. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. God invites each one of us, each and every single one of us, to this banquet, to be a part of this banquet. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, he offers every single one of us the opportunity to join in, to follow him in a life-changing journey that will one day, one day in the future, uh, will end with his ultimate victory that this feast is, is, is seeking to describe what that's going to look like. So one of the things that we do is that we accept this task at hand or we accept what God has called us to do when we understand the beauty of that invitation, when we understand that, the beauty of that invitation. The second point is that uh, we accept the task at hand when we, number two, don't delay with excuses. When we don't delay with excuses. So back to the parable, remember this certain man had been preparing for this feast for a long time, right? He had, he had put together this thing, been working hard, preparing this feast for a while. It was now ready, so he sends his servant out to tell those people that had been invited, all right, it's time to show up for the party. The party's about to begin. Come on in and enjoy it. And then the parable continues there in verse, 15, or verse 18 in your outline. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So those who had been invited, now that this man had finished the preparation, now that this, this, this uh, master had, had created and put this feast together and was excited and ready for them to dig into the meal, they suddenly decide to bail. <laughs> They're like, you know what? No thanks. Uh, sorry, Mr. Servant. Uh, go ahead and tell the master I got some other things to do. I got a lot going on. I bought a field over here. I got to tend to it. I bought some oxen. I got to oxenate or whatever they do with oxen. Um, I've got, I just got hitched, and so you know, I got I got to go hang out with my wife for a while. So just tell the master. Tell tell him I said that I'm sorry, but uh, you know, just not interested in the party right now. Uh, in, uh, there's a, a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, that uh, cultural studies in the Gospels, uh, where the author Ken Bailey talks about this uh, particular story. And he talks about the excuses that these guys make. And he, I, he relates it to what it would be like for us today a little bit. I think it's a good illustration. I just wanted to share it with you briefly. It says that the introduction, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, brings the reader and listener at once to the topic of the great banquet. In a traditional Middle Eastern village, the host of a banquet invites a group of his friends. On the basis of the number of people who accept the invitation, he decides how much and what kind of meat he will serve. On the day of the banquet, animals or fowl are butchered and the banquet is prepared. When everything is ready, the master will send his servant around the village with the classical phrase, please come, everything is ready. The language of the parable is still used in the Middle East today. In contemporary Western society, banquets usually have two invitations. The first is often made over the telephone, or evite, or email, or text message, or Twitter, or whatever. On the day of the dinner party, the guests assemble and are seated until the magical moment when the host or hostess appears and announces, the food is on the table, please come in. Everyone proceeds without delay to the table, and the meal begins. However, Imagine a contemporary Western scene in which the guests arrive and are seated in the living room. When the food is ready, the hostess invites the guests to take their places. But to the shock of all, 
They offer excuses and head for the door. One says, ah, I have to mow the lawn. The second blurts out, oh, you know what, I've got to feed my cat. The third says, you know what, there are bills on my desk waiting to be paid. And all three of them walk out the door. So not only do these three people come up with excuses, but they actually come up with pretty lame excuses and are kind of rude in the way that they respond uh, to this master's request. Uh, He goes on to talk about um, in more detail about why each one of those particular excuses like were really pretty much just cop-outs, that they didn't really make sense culturally in that time, and that they were probably even intended to humiliate this host who had worked so hard to prepare, prepare this meal, and now they're saying, you know what, we're not even interested. We've got way more important things to do than to come to this party that you've prepared. And so there's actually like a, a, a sense of like they were trying to humiliate the host a little bit. So part of, what, part of what Jesus is saying here, and part of what I feel like a good challenge for us is as, as we, we look at this, is to recognize that it's time to stop delaying and making excuses for why it's not a good time to join what God is up to. Jesus says now is the time to join in. Now is the, now is the time to embrace what God is doing in and around them. And, then, and people like, this, like these religious leaders uh, that he's talking to need to stop making excuses for why they're refusing to join in uh, the party. Now, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe uh, more recently you've, you've committed, you've asked him to be your leader and forgiver, uh, or maybe it's been something you've, you've been doing for years, it's just been a kind of a part of your life for a long time now, you'll probably notice that at different points uh, along the way, at different places uh, in your journey, in your relationship with him, it, bec- it can become easier and easier to sort of come up with uh, excuses for why following him in that moment just really isn't the best idea, right? Like, I feel like I'm the king of this type of thing. Like, being able to come up with excuses, ah, oh, you know, it's not, just not, not really a good time for that. We're not really, we, come, we can easily come up with excuses for why, you know, I'm not quite ready for the, for the party yet. I'm not really so interested right now in, in doing, God, what it is that, you, that you're calling me to do. And those excuses probably look different for each of us uh, based on our personality or what we like to do or what stage of life we're in or uh, what, what's going on, that kind of thing. But we all, uh, we all come up with excuses from time to time, particularly when we, when we feel like God's asking us to do something that forces us outside our comfort zone or makes us feel a, a, a little bit uncomfortable. And so what I thought I would like to do, and this is where audience participation can come in, is I want you to help me identify what some of the excuses are that we come up with uh, for not wanting to do what God asks us to do. Uh, so uh, it'll probably be easier if you raise your hand and shout them out, and I'll, I'll just point at you to, to share it. But what are some of the things, like if you were to finish this sentence, we say things like, not right now, God, because of this. What are some of the things that we, some of the excuses we give? Not necessarily you, but we give, okay? You don't have to, yeah. What are some of the excuses that we come up with? Not now, God, not right now because I'm too old, okay? All right? What else? You know, do you, have you seen my schedule, right? Yeah, I'm so busy. What else? It's not popular. Is that what you said, popular? Yeah, it's not popular. Like, no, there's not a lot of people doing this. Why would I want to join in on it, Okay. Okay, I don't think I can do it. I, I, I'm just not good enough or I'm too flawed or whatever. 
Okay, yeah, I can't afford that. You're asking me to do that? I can't give that away. I need that money. What else? Okay, yeah, we just had a baby, right? Yeah, look at all the time that that, that takes up. Good, nice one. What else? Yeah. Okay, all right. We just have... <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yeah, so that, that, that's definitely our family, things that are going on in our family. We've got all this stuff going on. Anything else? All right, yeah, those are great. I'm just too tired, or I'm just too busy, or I'm just too discouraged, or I'm just too whatever. Or one that I like to use uh, is sort of like the, oh, you know, I would do that, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's really not going to make that much of a difference, right? Like, as if I got to tell God about the grand scheme of things, right? Like, I got to explain to him. I don't know if you realize this, uh, but, or I've finally gotten to this place in life, whatever this place is, and, oh, I just, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up. So we have, we, we, we have it and we recognize it and we can laugh about it too. It's good to have a sense of humor about, about it. But we have this endless list of excuses for why, that we can come up with for why, you know what, right now is just not a good time to join in on what, God, on, on what God's doing. Now is just not a good time to join the party that he's throwing or to follow uh, Jesus and what he's asking us to do. And part of the task at hand, part of what God's calling us to do as we think about uh, getting rid of this hole that's in our gospel is to learn to obey in that moment, to, to learn to, to stop making excuses, to not delay uh, in our obedience to his voice. I have a, a, a video today that I want to share with you that's just a cool story from somebody uh, here at Daybreak. Uh, Kim Pfeiffer uh, typically attends here at Good Hope Road, and uh, she about two weeks ago she left, uh, she went back to Haiti. Uh, anybody anybody that knows, of you that know her knows she serves down there. Uh, in Haiti, and she's got a great story that has a lot of cool pieces to it, a lot of parts that will that will that will challenge you and encourage you. And part of it is you'll see this this need that she's noticed that she needs to be willing to step outside of her comfort zone to listen to God's voice and to obey even when it feels uncomfortable. I think you'll uh, enjoy her story. You can check her out on the screen here. Hey, my name is Kimberly, and I live and work in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. My main job is to serve in a girls' home orphanage, working with 23 girls from the ages of 8 to 21. I also get to work in a tent city doing community development and helping with teams on week-long trips. As I'm sure you've heard, there are many dark places in Haiti. I usually don't go a day without seeing a family living in a tent or a mother who can't feed her child, children without shoes and a baby without parents, a father desperately trying to find a job or a husband that abuses his wife. Most of the times, it's too much for me to take. I very quickly and easily become overwhelmed. But I'm finding that God's first desire of me isn't to penetrate this darkness in Haiti. It is to penetrate the darkness in my heart. Those dark places where I find my worth in what I'm doing and in what I've accomplished. Where I see my value in how many buildings I have helped build how much food I have handed out, or how fast the girls I work with are learning computer skills. In the midst of trying to rack up the numbers, I hear God say this, Kimberly, would you be still long enough to find your worth in me? That no matter what you do or do not do, I love you. You are already worth it. You are good enough. When I first take the time to fill the dark places in my heart with these truths, I begin to outwardly penetrate the darkness in Haiti naturally. I can rest while I'm working. 
Because I can confidently rest in who I am, not the measurable outcomes I produce, I am free to take the time, the time to get to know a Haitian and help teach him how to build a house alongside of me, even if that means less houses being built. To train a Haitian in a skill so she can earn an income to buy her family food, therefore increasing her self-worth and self-sustainability. To continue teaching computer classes ever so slowly and inefficiently due to my lack of language skills and cultural understanding. Trusting that the girls just need to be me to be present in their lives, seeing my effort as love. Penetrating the darkness is more about slowing down enough to hear the spirit speaking. And I heard once before that the spirit very rarely respects one's comfort zone. How true that is. The spirit often calls us to take a risk. Not a risk to do more or work harder or serve longer, but a risk that is uncomfortable. That thing that usually sits in my gut and I say, okay, God, I'll do that later. Next week, I'll talk to that person. Next time I see my family, I'll have that, that conversation. I'll set boundaries and slow down once school is finished. It is taking risk to listen to that gut feeling, that still small voice, here and now, in your present and your immediate surroundings. Not always in another country, and not always later when your kids grow up or when you're retired from your job, but what you feel the Spirit calling to you right now. When I do this, I soon notice I begin to get messy. It's not neat and easy and clean, but it's worth it. It's truly living. And like the broken, I find myself calling out to God for answers. When my best efforts have failed, I am left with nothing to cling to but frail faith. In a strange twist of divine irony, those who would extend mercy discover that they themselves are in need of mercy. Mercy from a great big God who is more than willing to give it. And I begin to realize that in this whole process, God is changing me. And that is where the task at hand begins. I love, I love hearing stories from people like, like Kim um, who are allowing God to teach them uh, as they have stepped outside their comfort zones. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest strengths that Kim has, if you've ever met her, is she just oozes teachability. Like she's, she's somebody who constantly wants God to keep transforming her, to keep changing her, to keep uh, uh, weeding the things in her life that aren't, aren't right and encouraging her in the things that are. And even for her, uh, as part of her, her story, just even going to Haiti was a huge step outside of her comfort zone, a, a huge way that God has challenged her. And I think if we're going to stop making those excuses, right, that, that big long list that we were able to come up with, if we're going to stop making those, it's going to require at some point that we step outside of our comfort zones in order to obey what it is that God's calling us to. Uh, since since Daybreak, Daybreak Church started, uh, we started back in 1999, there was a, were about 65 people. And ever since that point in time, one of our core values as a church family has been that leaps of faith are taken here. That we're going to be a group of people that both individually as well as collectively as a group, that we're going to be people that follow Jesus in, in ways that are risky and in ways that are uncomfortable. That we're going to be a, a church who refuses to make excuses for why we can't obey God. Instead, we say that leaps of faith are taken here, and we recognize that obeying God requires us to step outside of our comfort zones, both in our daily lives as well as, as 
uh, altogether. So a good question to ask yourself, and you may want to jot this down, a good question to ask yourself about this is, what is God asking of you that will require you to choose either an excuse or a leap of faith? What is God asking of you that will, will require you to either choose to make an excuse or to take a leap of faith uh, and, and obey him? Either an excuse or a leap of faith. We accept the task at hand when we understand the beauty of this invitation that God's extending to us. And then we also accept it when we uh, don't delay with excuses. Which brings us there to the last point in your outline today, which is that uh, we accept the task at hand when we, number three, become inviters and includers of those around us. When we become inviters and includers of those around us. So let's take a look at the last part of the parable, which I think was really like Jesus' drive-home point, like the the heart that he wanted to communicate to these religious leaders that he was uh, mealing with. Uh, so again, it, the, the people that invited were picking up, the people that had been invited uh, were making, made their excuses, and it says that the servant came back uh, and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And some time passes. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the invited people, again, refuse to come. The master becomes enraged and then he begins to invite all people to come in, those who didn't, who didn't have any expectations that they would be invited to be a part of this feast. And those who had been invited but refused to join in end up, according to the story, missing out on the feast. Now, I love the ending of this parable because it reminds me of how much God's heart beats for all people. And how much God, God's heart is, is, desires for all people to join in the party that he's throwing. And I really think that this, this, that truth sums up this whole series very well. Because the hole in our gospel, the one that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, it... it the peace of God's heart that we often miss is embodied by this Pharisee that, cha- that, that caused Jesus to, to launch into this parable. He was the man who, as Jesus was challenging them to be more humble, uh, to take the lesser seat at the table, to invite the poor and the outcasts to feast, to feast with them. In the middle of that, he, he looked at Jesus and he said, um, the blessed ones are those who, like me, will be feasting in the kingdom of God. He said, it's going to be so great, isn't it, Jesus? When that feast finally takes place, oh, that's going to be great for, for, for those of us who are blessed. When it, when it came to that great banquet, when that, when that man at the table there, and, and probably a lot of the other guys at the table as well, when they thought about this great banquet that was to come at the end of time, when it came to their hope, their only focus was, was themselves. Their only focus was themselves. They were missing God's heart for everyone else. They were, there was a hole in their gospel. One of the things that Jesus makes loud and clear is that God invites us to join in announcing that his kingdom is at hand, to tell everyone that they are invited, that he has made a way for them to find their way back to him. Uh, after This is chapter 14 of Luke. If you go on to chapter 15 of Luke, it's where uh, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son which the lost son, for those of you familiar, which one of the most famous stories in all of the world, actually, is all about 
about someone who rejected God and then found their way back to him. And this is particularly good news. This story is particularly good news to those who would least expect to hear it, who would least expect to be invited to the party. People who are poor or people who are downtrodden, the prisoner, the outcast, uh, the Samaritan, the adulterous woman, the leper, the tax collector, the very same group of people where probably none of them were the ones that were sitting around this table eating that day with Jesus. Here at Daybreak, Right here, as a, as a church family, we want to be a church that lives out God's heart for all people. Like, that's, that's, that's who we want to be. We want to be people that invite people to, to, to be a part of the things that we do together. Like, we want to be people that invite people, hey, why don't you come, come with me to, to church on Sunday and let's celebrate God's grace a little bit together this week. We even, we even create uh, invitations like this one that they, they're back stacked back at Ministry Central that if that helps you to, to be able to more easily invite somebody to come and join you uh, at church that, that you can do that. But we want to be a part of inviting people to be, to, to be part of the things that we do together as a church family. Things like church uh, services, things like service projects we do, maybe meals that we have together with our small groups. Uh, we want to be people who include others. We want to be includers. We want to include people in our journey. Uh, be in relationship with people so that they see, look, I am an imperfect reflection of a God that is perfect. I'm an imperfect reflection of a perfect God. And we allow them to see that, hey, we're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to do uh, what it is that he's, he's called us to do. And we're trying to love people the way that he's called us to love. What we don't want to be, <laughs> what we don't want to be is a group of Pharisees who sit around satisfied with our own eternal security uh, that we're blessed to join in this feast someday who are just having parties with each other while there's a whole bunch of suffering going on outside. Where we're just sitting together, we're, we're talking, hey, it's going to be great someday, isn't it? While we, and then we just kind of sit around and wait for heaven someday. We want to be a church or a group of people who are inviters and includers, who don't make excuses for why now isn't a good time, but rather we take risks, we take leaps of faith, we take steps to follow God in ways that make us feel uncomfortable. So let me ask you, let me ask you a tough question. This is a question I felt like um, God was challenging me with all week as I was preparing for this morning. Would Jesus have told this parable to you? Would he have told this parable to us? Uh, is, this, is this story, this, he, he decided to launch into this parable for a reason, right? It wasn't just out of the blue. Would he have told this story to us? If he were to come to lunch with us today, or if he were to sit down at a meal with some of us today, do you think he might break into this parable while we're eating together? If you were out, with, out to lunch with him and he were sitting across the table with you, and he were to start talking about the brokenness that exists in the world, about the, the outcasts and the prisoners and the sick and the poor and the, 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 the destitute and the hurting that, that takes place around the world, what would, your, what would your response be? What would our response be? Would we be more like the Pharisee? Would we say, yeah, man, there sure is a lot of brokenness out there, but I'm sure glad I'm going to be in heaven someday with you, Jesus. Won't that, won't that be great? Blessed is the one who will feast someday in the kingdom of God. Would that likely be a response? Or would our response be something more like, Jesus, you know what? You're right. There is brokenness out there. There is a lot of hurting. There is a lot of things that are going on out there right now. How do you want me to join you in being an inviter and includer to the party? (laughs) 
How do you want me to be someone who invites and includes people in relationship with you so that they can hear and understand the good news the kingdom, the, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that you're, throwing up, that you're throwing a party and that they can get tastes and glimpses of it right now, today. Would Jesus have told this parable to us? I think that's a great question for us to ask ourselves. The end of, uh, near the end of this, uh, this book, Hole in Our Gospel, uh, Richard Stern says something here that I think uh, is a good challenge. He says, We are the ones God has called to be his church. It's up to us. We are to be the change. But a changed world requires change agents. And change agents aren't people, I'm sorry, and change agents are people who have first been changed themselves. The question for us is whether we are willing to make that commitment, to live and act differently, and to repair the whole in our own gospel. If we are, then God will use us as parts of his amazing plan to change our world. But becoming this kind of disciple, one who's determined to be the gospel to the world around him, involves an intentional decision. It doesn't just happen. We won't really become change agents for Christ just by going to church every Sunday. We will have to make some on-purpose life choices and then change our priorities and behavior. Only then can God transform us and use us to change the world. With, uh, I don't know about you, but when, when uh, a new year is about to begin, a lot of times I feel this sense of like it's a chance for a fresh start. <laughs> it's a chance for a new beginning. Something about the calendar turning over or something that's just like, hey, I'm going I'm to kind of give myself in a new way to, to something. And I think one of, the, one of the cool things, one of the ways that we could uh, start fresh with God is maybe we want to start the new year by asking God, who is it in my life that you want me to be an inviter and an includer of? Who are the, who are the people in my life? Uh, maybe maybe I, I, when, when you ask that question, you know right away who those people are. Or maybe it's something where you need to say, God, would you show me who those people are in my life that you just want me to be an inviter and an, an includer of to help them see the beauty of the invitation uh, that you have for them? My prayer is that all of us, will be the type of people who never stop inviting and including others. Uh, that we never stop inviting people to the party that God is throwing. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you and we praise you today for who you are. Uh, we thank you for the way that your invitation is beautiful. We thank you for the fact that you loved us first, and that you have created a way for us to be not only in right relationship with you, but in right relationship with each other. And uh, God, it can be a challenge and a struggle to uh, take the types of risks and obey in the ways that you've called us to do. Uh, but I pray that, that for each of us in this room today, that uh, in this new year, we would become people who take risks, who step outside of our comfort zone to follow you, uh, who refuse to make excuses, and who invite and include others uh, to be a part of what it is that you're doing. Uh, We praise you and thank you today uh, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.